This is Jim Pruitt, and you listen to another episode of the Farm So Hard podcast. So I farm so hard, employees want to find me, and then want to hire me. What's 100K to a guy like me? Could you please remind me? Farm so hard, this ain't easy. Working late nights, you best believe me. My grades can only go ace. Never want to see another B unless I'm Jay-Z. Farm so hard, let's get paid. Welcome, guys, back to another Farm So Hard, Planet of the Sun. We're in Atlanta. I got a new group up here with me, the Knicks. And we're going to be talking about the... Uh, the 10 drug commandments of, of, of trauma. And it's going to be good. It's going to be a little different than what we've done before, but I think it'd be pretty unique just to get a new perspective because when I'm training my residents, they get very anxious when it comes to trauma response. And you're an ED person, so it's a little different, but mm. my oncology PGY2 that has to come down or someone who's <laughs> interested in peace and they have to come down for a trauma and they ask them to like, go ahead and crack open a cyano kit. That, that, is a, that is a very bad moment. And what I want to do is just do something small for, for them and just talk. Because I always say it's really only 10 drugs. Like, uh, you, you're, not, you're not cracking a chest. No. You're not placing a chest tube. Um, you're not placing a tube yourself. You, well, you're, not doing a, you're not doing a rebuttal. You're okay. Yeah. So I think, I think we're good. But we're augmenting some of those things that can happen. So I think if we talk about 10 drugs, really, that we can, that we can utilize and we can understand this, I think we'll be, we'll be fine. So I'm not going to pretend that... Ketamine isn't my favorite drug. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to pretend. Um, RIP Dr. Ingham. Ketamine, as he would say. Uh, it's just, it's a drug that can be used in so many ways. Um, I have a patient coming with pain. Ketamine. I got a patient that needs to be deeply sedated for ortho procedure. Ketamine. Um, we're getting ready to intubate a patient. Ketamine. And the key thing I like to make sure that we're talking about the dosage and how you give it for me. And you guys, you tell me how it works for you guys. But the dosage and how quickly I give it, I get three different drugs in that same time frame. Yeah. So if I'm using the point three, even sometimes when I'm using it for true pain, I can go down to point like one five mix per kid and put it in a hundred cc bag with that run over. You know? Yeah, it doesn't need a lot. And then also, you know, some studies, you know, have looked at that the push versus mm-hmm. you know, the bag. When I was at doing residency, they actually were doing a project looking at push versus bag, seeing if there was more disassociated mm-hmm. effects or not. You know, unfortunately, I had to follow up, and I'm not sure what the exact results of that study were, but I knew just from experience, just looking at them, and you know, personally, I was the one who made the drug, so I wasn't. I was technically an observer in a way <laughs> because I knew which one the patient was getting, how we had it randomized. Mm-hmm. So observations for me, I definitely saw that the push. You know, versus the bag, the bag one in that case if mm-hmm. we're doing it for pain. Yeah, and sometimes again, I, I don't know about you guys, but I want a little association. Yeah, I want just a little bit. I, I, I had a, uh, I always remember this coach told me, he said, Jimmy, you're a chicken nugget away from playing linebacker, <laughs> <laughs> and I want my patient a chicken nugget away from being too sedated, or if we could be a little over in certain time frames. But again, if I'm just wanting a patient that's been in pain that's received opioids, I, I want something. Getting that back, as you're talking about, but if they're getting ready to place an emergency chest tube and I want to make sure their pain is taken care of, that's when I want to go ahead and, and give them the IV push. Okay. And your nursing laws may, may kind of put you in different positions where what you can and can't do. So that's something we always yes. have to watch out for. Yes. So anyone watching this here, uh, my Australia crew, I don't know what you guys are doing out yeah, there. For but... our Georgia listeners, <laughs> that's a no no for nurses. Yeah. So you have to kind of be, be cautious of what they can do in the actual intent. Uh, a lot of procedural sedation uh, protocols, a lot of what they do is the intent of the dose and the intent of the drug mm. puts you in 
uh, procedure sedation or mild sedation or conscious sedation, all, all these terms we use. But again, the intent def definitely does that. So my low dose, I, I, I make a joke. I say, give me 50, 50, 50 milligrams of ketamine and I can get you through almost every single case that you can. But there's some things we have to really consider, right? Yeah. So what's, what's like some things that you like to tell your team, your trauma team, you tell your residents, the things we have to consider when talking about ketamine? When talking about ketamine, I always tell them always just to consider the cardiac history of the patient, just because mm -hmm. I feel like that's sometimes overlooked a lot of times. Like, does this patient have a known cardiac history? Or visually, if they can't talk to us, does it look like it? Do they have a zipper? If they have a zipper, they've had a cabbage, so they have a cardiac history. Mm -hmm. Just because we know with this drug that you know it increases heart rate, increases blood pressure. Theoretically, that flash pulmonary edema risk is there. I know that you know the yeah. obviously it's kind of like is it actually a thing or is it like you know what's the actual percentage of the patients that do get it? But it's just something to be cognizant about. If you have some of that heart history, sometimes you may be playing with a little bit of flair. Yeah. So what have you seen so far? Again, you've been at Grady now for, for a little yeah. bit. You've been at Yale, so you kind of you've gotten to play a little bit. I like to say. What have you seen about again when you're drawing up ketamine mm. and like how how a team and how they're using it? Yeah, so I guess in my very limited experience so far, um, <laughs> I've only used ketamine twice now. I can count it on one hand. Oh man, I know we got to get those numbers. Pop those numbers out. Rookie numbers. Push the ketamine. It was both for pain, and mm -hmm. we used 0.3 mix per keg as um, a slow IV push. Okay. Um, and I know you were talking about you know you can put it in the bag, you can push it at different rates to get different effects. Can you talk about like? what rates you give it at for certain uh, clinical effects that you're expecting? Yeah, so I think for, for me, anything less than the minute and a half mark is where I've kind of capped it. Some people just say a minute. I know if I give a decent dose within a minute or two, I'm going to have a certain level of CNS effects. Mm. And when I do that, I intentionally do that. Yeah, that's so, you're, now, you're, now you're talking about RSI. Yeah, that's so, so it's like that quick push. And it's like you can give it, usually I can go over about a minute or so, a minute and a half, and usually I get to the where I can have some nystagmus, I can have a patient that's really in a point where they can still communicate with you. And that's the difference between when we're putting these patients down with like the quick, you know, 20 second, you know, 10 second RSI push. Mm. That's why I find something different where they eventually get there. It's like, whoa, they can talk you through it. Man, this is weird. This is different. And I had a patient yeah. before, like, I'm in a car right now. I'm, in, I'm out of space. I usually hear a lot of out of space things. That, mm -hmm. So once you push it over that period of time, you get that. So I think. In 20 seconds, RSI can very quick, quick penetration to the CNS. Over a couple minutes, I get enough to the CNS, but the doses is going to help me, and how quickly I get is going to help me not get too deep. Mm -hmm. And then outside of that, again, that two to five plus minute range, again, usually I'm not pushing something over five minutes. Oh, no, no. Um, it's, yeah, again, no, putting, no, no one's going to really sit there for five minutes yeah, either. So this so, is when I'm yeah. putting it in a, in a bag and letting mm -hmm. it run over. And uh, some of our nurses will put it on a pump. Over right. 10 to 15 minutes. Do you change the gravity or something else? It, it, it depends. If I know that I can push it over a minute, and I know, again, depending on the access that I have, and realistically, you can calculate a drip rate if you want to be formal, but um, I can make sure it goes for roughly 10-ish minutes. And those are the different cases that I want to, but I tell people, you have to know ketamine if you're going to play with that. Yeah, you have to be very comfortable, ketamine. You gotta know the ins and outs, bads, what can happen, what can happen, like bads, goods, because you know there are situations where you know oh, you have ketamine, like oh, like okay, ketamine's not working. What's my backup? You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you run into that too for some reason for some patients, and we haven't even talked about it yet, but the good old emergence phenomenon uh, with <laughs> ketamine. So that's ketamine's you know kind of dark side. And you yeah. have to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of dosing, so you were talking about for pain, like more of a 0.3 mix per keg, and for 
RSI, like inducing anesthesia, that's a, a much higher dose. Yeah. Right? So again, depending on what you have, again, we're talking IV doses here. I, I do mine anywhere from one to two mm-hmm. uh, in adults. My pediatric population, they want two. They yeah, want they, bigger they doses. They seem like they need more. I think it's it partially metabolism, maybe receptors yeah. within MDA, but yeah. But I, I usually get pretty good response with one to two milligrams. Again, I do, I try to let my, my, my physicians kind of drive like, hey, what dose do you want? I have it drawn up. But it's like, if they want to use one maker kick, I'm not going to argue. If yeah. they want to use two, I'm not going to argue. Mm-hmm. So my thing, as long as we give them enough, is what I care about. And the same thing for my paralytics that we'll talk about later on. Yeah. But I really want to focus on giving enough to get the intended effect that you want. But I yeah. use one or two mix per kick. And that's it for IV. There are some unique situations I ran into, though, when I had to give ketamine IM yeah. to facilitate an intubation where yeah. I had a thrashing patient. We and at that point we we had got a complete exam on him, so we knew he wasn't bleeding internally. We knew those things wasn't happening. I knew it was safe. So I gave him like three mix per kick IM, thinking to myself I can redose at two mix per kick if I have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That got the patient to where he can calm down. We got him back into the bed. We was able to get restraints on him, and then we realized at that point, okay, due to we may have to take him back to the scanner. The decision was made at that point. I want to intubate this guy. He's it's too much once he. Once he wakes up. Yeah, wakes up in the scanner, then you'll have a whole other problem. That's a... <laughs> If you want to piss a trauma surgeon off, have a patient doing a whole lot of nonsense. Doing the worm, the during the worm on the CT yeah, table. And that's, yeah, and that's how you get yourself some vet. I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you've got to make sure you keep your patient sedated in the best way possible. Yeah. Again, what ketamine can do is it can buy you that period of time, if you give it IM, to get IV access. It can buy you that period of time to get yeah. all your equipment in a room. Because if you give them ketamine IM, you set up intubation, this stuff is not set up. Mm-hmm. So that's something we have to, have to consider. And also, can their fan consider ketamine too? They also call you know this whole awake sedation yeah. type deal. So you know, even when you're giving ketamine, necessarily they're still going to kind of maintain the respiratory drive until you give that paralytic, which is also sometimes the nice thing about ketamine, especially when you're doing some odd intubations like intranasal, intranasal intubations, which you know is a fun one. You know, especially using the lidocaine. You know, trying to get that neb up the nose neb, and then trying to do discus, those intranasal. Yeah. So Jimmy, that's what I'm talking about. I had, I had an it's hour, like, oh, we're gonna do nasal intubation. Hour intubation like, last week. So yeah, and you're just like, right. oh, okay, this is gonna be interesting. But. And for these doses, uh, say, I mean, the the PKPD aspect of RSI is interesting. <laughs> um, are you using actual body weight, ideal body weight, adjusted body weight in our obese populations? I would love to say that I'm using adjusted. You know, I, would, I would love to say that. Yeah. Uh, but realistically, in, in the moment, I don't have many things around me and I'm using the actual body weight. Mm-hmm. And I know I have this wide therapeutic range that I just don't think I'm going to hurt someone by yeah. getting too big with those. If a patient can get ketamine, I think they can get it. Yeah. And I, I kind of naturally tend to gravitate, you know, if it's intubation, like capping at 200. You know, just because, you know, if you have like the, vial. you have the vial, you know, it's a 10 milligram per mil, it's a 20 ml vial. I usually just like cap it at 100. The other gray area that comes out with it too is that, you know, with most drugs, you know, manufacturers don't study above 100 kilos because they don't want to affect their approval because their PKPD could be wide generic and you usually have to rely on post-marketing data to kind of know like, oh, is this dose okay with these patients? Because sometimes we just don't know, you know, is it just good or not? Unless someone looked at a separate post-market study, you just don't know. All right. Sense. All right. I can talk about ketamine all day. Yeah, so can I. But, yeah. but <laughs> so now next up is fentanyl. We've been talking about um, when are you picking ketamine versus fentanyl for pain control? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I would say primarily my first my first gun is going to be fentanyl. Up front. Yeah. I like to think of my job as I, half my job is taking care of the patient. The other half is making sure I'm assisting the team. Mm-hmm. If I call out ketamine up front, I can get people thinking about things that they don't necessarily care about at the time. So I, I ask myself, what's something that I can take care of the patient, I can make sure my team can say, 
usually I hear 50 of fentanyl, and I can get fancy sometimes where I have a large patient, I have a huge open fracture. I can get 50 of fentanyl three times. Yeah, it's like, would you, would you like 100, sir? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it, it just depends on the team, yeah. it depends on the situation, because mm-hmm. I, I have one case when I made a big plus, I was talking to one of my trauma surgeons, I was like, what do you guys always just get 50? And it's like, you can drop the pressure. And I was like, ah, you know, it's probably the trauma itself, but the yeah. one time I said that, I gave 100, my patient pressure tank, and I was like, yeah, it's like you, you try that. It's like, oh, let's try a hundred this time, and then it's like, me. And I was like, sorry, yeah. as you're just like this yeah. surgeon's giving you the side eye. So but, again, I try my best to fitness like my, my go-to. Cause I know mm-hmm. I know exactly what I'm getting. I know how to take it off if I have to. I know again, I'm buying myself thirty minutes to an hour. Uh, I'll probably say, you know, realistically, probably twenty minutes to an hour. Twenty minutes to forty-five minutes is good. Oh, yeah. Once I get the dose that I want, and we all know about the respiratory depression that we can be yeah. we can be associated with that. I've never, and we have a lot of experience here. Have anyone in the audience ever heard of chest, have seen chest wall? Never seen it. <laughs> I've only read about it. Yeah. Cold no, again, again, this is. Even with those studies, I think it was really like the cardiothoracic patients that were in the OR for hours getting these massive cumulative fentanyl doses yeah. that it really happened. Yeah. I've never ever seen it. Yeah. And even giving, I've given up to like, you know, even we were still kind of doing pre-treatment a little bit mm-hmm. for SI, like giving Pre-treat. 300 mics, yeah. no problem, like no chest wall ridges. Yeah, so. I just I just haven't seen it again. I remember I got pimped on that one time on rounds, so and I was like, I'm going to make sure I, if, if I ever find a patient, I'm going to reach back out. But every time I go a year <laughs> and I push two, three hundred administrations up and no, never yeah. got it, I go from there. So that's something that's, um, I call it the Lexicon Pharmacist, and of course I'm going to the church. <laughs> the Lexicon Pharmacist will tell you you can't do that. Um, yeah. Because on Lexicon, they read and say that's what, what it is. So I'm not necessarily uh, sold on that from a hemodynamic standpoint. I want to caveat again, and most of these patients, if you have a patient that's fighting for your life and bleeding, mm-hmm. those people can drop blood pressure because yes. the only thing that's keeping them is that drive. So in the acute phase, I make sure I'm like very cautious with what I do. Okay. But I think of everything as like after the primary exam is done and we get back from CT, I pretty much, for the most part, my team usually knows whether they're going to the OR or if they can kind of stay in play downstairs. And those are the patients that I'm not as concerned about their, their blood pressure dropping. But again, mm-hmm. I have, I've learned now to be very diligent with making sure my team's getting ultrasounds, making sure that they're getting the imaging that they want. And my, my trauma surgeon can say, hey, I'm not, I don't think this patient's bleeding. And usually you know very quickly. Yeah. Like, okay, the interest level, it goes from, oh, okay, okay, wait, like, wait, oh, okay, get, get, yeah. get the secondary, get the tertiary, like, I'm out of here. Yeah, it's like, then the tank, like, bye, go into the OR. Yeah. So those are the patients that once they, again, for the most part, and there's caveats and trauma, is mm-hmm. trauma. Yeah, just always keep an eye on your systolic, you know, yeah. if you're giving that dose, just keep an eye on the repeat, you know, because yeah. sometimes, you know, may or may not be looking, or they go to CT scan, like, how many people are, like, you know, looking... Yeah. hearing closely at the blood pressure and what all drugs you should do is put communication because this is what happens when you get pharmacy involved you have nursing involved you have everyone there and the patient's yelling they want pain meds it's like, okay wait a second hey did you get the fentanyl did you get it did you get it mm-hmm. and then like what happens with the remaining the remaining because usually most valves are 100 mics for two that again we see commercially now yeah. you pull up your 50 give it hand it to the nurse that's documenting another nurse goes that's bedside pulls another 50 and you go back and forth and you have issues when it comes to yeah. Waste. It's, it's all advocates can tell. He's on first, he's yeah. on second, but on third. Yeah. So that's my big thing with, with, with fentanyl. Again, great drug. I traditionally dose my 0.5 to, to one mic per kilo, and I, I, I vary from that. We know it's going to be an opioid mu- uh, antagonist, but it's like all these things we have to make sure we're focused on as far as all the caveats when it comes to trauma in particular. Especially when there's multiple traumas going on, I can't stress the importance of that because. You know, like even when I'm pulling something, I always tend to slap a patient sticker on the file so I know like who belongs yeah. to who because I've been burned a few times where it's like 
uh oh, whose fentanyl is this, and who do I have to waste it on? So, or you go home yeah. and reach in your pocket. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's like uh oh. But that's been like, really yeah. Mistake. Going back to RSI, so um, you know we have two paralytics mm -hmm. um, that we mainly use um, in trauma. I don't know, do you reach for one over the other? It's tough, man. I'm, I'm gonna say this. Uh, I I've seen depending on where I practice, my docs would go more towards rock because mm -hmm. I usually hear the case. I don't know the patient. If I don't know yeah. what's going on, the patient's been down, we get these random patients. Now, you have a, a, an MVC from the scene, that's a little different, and you can go with something that, that's quick. Yeah. Um, but I've seen, again, my group, again, start to gravitate more towards that. And I think rock is an important drug, not necessarily because it's better, but I think that from a pharmacy standpoint, it's important because there's some caveats in there that we yeah. have to be aware of to make it the best. Yeah, it's like, you know, and table, and I can't stress this, every time I do my topic discussion with my students and residents in RSI, I always remind them, okay, what's the half-life of Atomidate? Okay, what's the half-life of Rock? Yeah. Okay, and then everyone's freaking out 15 minutes later, oh my god, the heart rate's 130, the patient, like, must be going into shock or something. And I was like, uh, no, the patient's just awake but paralyzed. Yeah. So that's, that's what's going on. The ED awareness trials are really, I think, important yep. to, to learners in the ED. Um, every time I have the chance to talk to either interns or other residents or students that are rotating, um, I you know, kind of try to make the point, we're intubating with Atomidate and ROC. What are some points that you'd want to consider? You know, the awake while paralyzed is really um, something that could be really traumatizing. Speaking of trauma, yeah. being awake while paralyzed. <laughs> double trauma. Yeah, double trauma. Yeah. Um, so I guess, do you have strategies for yeah. reducing that kind of trauma Absolutely. or um, in dosing strategies for certain populations? So I've been fortunate to work in shops where when we're getting ready to intubate, they, I got music called to the scene and they know that it's the RSI medication plus the post-intubation sedation. Yeah. Okay. So for nine times out of 10, every patient that we're intubating gets fentanyl out there. Like immediately after, I check, mm -hmm. a I check two blood pressures, fentanyl. That's like my go-to every time. Two blood pressures, get fentanyl, and then we can add on the sedation from there. And yeah. it really just drives me to, hey, hey, okay, I know you're setting up your Mac. I, I try to be very conscious of what my providers are doing, but hey, what's your plan for after? Mm -hmm. If you ask that, and we actually have studies that was uh, done by Johnson and Cog, I think in 2014, that showed when you had an ED pharmacist there, you actually increased the time to analgesia by like 40 minutes. Yeah, wow. I remember that. I remember that study. <laughs> 40 minutes, you increased uh, sedation, sedation by I think 30 minutes as well. So we're, we're, we're there to do it. We have the data to do it. That's kind of my, my big caveat. And know if you need a neuro exam. Yeah. 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 That's a big, you know, especially, you know, with neurotraumas, you're just like, uh oh, well, yeah. we just did that. So I guess, you know, you're going to have to wait yeah. a significant time for it to wash out. And, you know, always have a backup plan. Mm -hmm. You know, what was plan A? Okay. Now what's plan B? You know, always think in your head, like, what's the vitals now? Okay. Something, you know, happened in intubation, patient decompensated. You know, this was my first plan. Maybe I grabbed it already, but don't prime it yet. You know, because you yeah. didn't hold those waste, but then yeah. like, okay, what's plan B? Mm -hmm. And then, what is your, I guess, um, strategy for managing reversing rock uranium if you yeah. need to? Like, say you don't know the patient, but you need to paralyze them, yeah. so you give them rock, but you need that neuro exam soon too. Yeah. Are you reaching for something like Sugamidex or something like Neostigmine? So for it, it depends. I would say how urgently do we need that? And yeah. my neurosurgeon colleagues, they, they do a good job of saying, hey Jim, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna probably be down there in 10, 15 minutes. And that's and that in that case, before we even go into it, I'm calling Central Pharmacy to give me some like neostigmine and atropine. Mm -hmm. Now, if the case is kind of rough and things are going on, I try my best not to use Sugamidex. In certain places, yeah. it's been challenging to even get it. 
like or it's only stocked in the OR. Yeah, it's just it's it's so it's just like such like oh this is OR only type yeah. item, you know. And then also it begs to differ, you know, sucks versus the whole rock thing. Yeah. You know, what sucks, you know, is the whole controversial ICP yep. increase, which you know goes back and forth, you know, between that. But you know, sometimes if you get an OR in your exam, that's might be that maybe niche area where maybe sucks could be a little bit better, just because you know it's gonna wear off quicker and they can get that. Yeah. You know, that's why it's like I feel like it, my shop we tend to like gravitate a little bit towards more sucks. And then afterwards, if we're having trouble and we're like maximizing sedation, then we may toss in like a one-time dose of rocuronium just to get them calm enough so they can get scans, yeah. but also keep them sedated on the table. Yeah. But you know, it's just it depends how bad they want that neuro exam. Yeah. Yeah, that's rock. Okay. Yeah. Um, next, we're kind of um, switching gears a little bit, talking about antibiotics. So what are kind of your main antibiotics that you use oh, in man. trauma resuscitation? This has been cool lately. I think over the last like there's, five there's, years. There's been a lot of updates in open pressure yeah. uh, prophylaxis. Uh, it, it depends on where you're at. So again, I remember I, I made a song and I was like, scratch the gent, let's get on the with open leg. Yes. Because yes. I'm, I'm no longer big on giving gent. And I worked at a shop where we had to compound gent at bedside every time. Wow. Um, and not just for regular trauma open <laughs> fractures, all your um, your finger amputations, all those things. I had to make all those. And I asked myself, like, where did this data come from? And me and Rob Connolly did an episode on this a while back. And we're talking about, like, guidelines and stuff that was on, like, in the 60s. It's, it's, like, it's like everyone keeps asking, where it's always what we've always done. And you know, it's this like, is what my, you know, person did. And I was like, where is this actually coming from? And then you look yeah. at the guidelines, it's like extensive brand negative coverage. Yeah, which it's just like, oh, great, or thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, again, I'm big on my grade three open fractures, and then same for my, my, my grade twos. Uh, having my gram negative agent is going to be my rosepin, two grams by, by itself, for the most part, for our decent sized patient. Yeah. Now, depending on, again, being at Grady, you see something a little different. It's not yeah. only subfractone against for your general one. You have to add on some MRSA coverage as well because, again, some of the studies maybe we may see that MRSA it, is rising a lot. Yeah, it just depends on your patient population mm-hmm. area too. If you see high MRSA rates, then you do have to cover it. You know, and interesting enough, there's actually a really interesting. Uh, I think it was like a physician paper by a group of physicians mm-hmm. where they talked about open fracture prophylaxis, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where we based our current ones on mm-hmm. with the rosepin and the vancomycin. Yep. Which, you know, I know it's just kind of like a the doctors did this position paper, but I think it's fascinating that maybe this should be like elevated yep. to like you know actual guideline level. Yep. But and one of the things I want to do is that since we just changed about a year ago, is kind of look back. Mm-hmm. Was there a difference? Yeah. In, you know, infection rates too. Yeah. So and I think we have a, a decent amount of data now. I think um, uh, some folks down in Lakeland did did a study not too long ago. Um, I looked at again the different rates things of that nature. But again, most seven is now my my driver mm-hmm. when it comes to my and great my my nasty ones. And I, I tell I tell my my orthos my trauma. They said, Jimmy, how do you know which one to give? And I say, if you see bone, give cefraxone. Yeah. And it's just, it's just easy. See bone, cefraxone. And I go, go from there. Uh, the next one, again, I want to kind of push us ahead in time here, is going to be Ancel. Every Ancel. We should put those together. I should like to say It was an honorable mention. It was tough, but it was there. But the key thing about Ancel, sometimes we have to remember, is that some of the the dosing can be interesting. If I look, I went back and I, when I did the episode with Rob, I noticed that again, a patient with less than seventy kilos, certain guidelines can say you can get one gram. You can get away with it, possibly. So yeah. that was intriguing for me because I've always been taught, you know, two grams, 
and then if they get above that 120 kilos, add yeah. it to be at three grams. Is there a risk with giving two grams in smaller patients? And that's though? and that's what that, I, I feel like to be honest with you, like if they get most prophylaxis just for 24 hours, right? Because they want that they want that close within yeah. 24 hours. They should be going to the OR if they open fracture. So if you're talking about you know obviously everyone's worried about beta lactams and you know the renal risk associated with them, but you're just giving antidote and you're giving three doses. Yeah. Unless, you know, the minor caveat with that is your oddball dialysis patient, yeah. maybe, or someone who's having some really bad renal insufficiency issues, then that might be a little bit different. But even then, just three doses, you're not going to get beta-lactam, like, neurotoxicity or anything like that. Or yeah. Yeah. Things with it, so. Okay. So that's my big thing. That's my big thing. With so, and stuff. Again, realizing, again, one thing I didn't mention is that a lot of ED shops are moving IV push. Uh, and stuff, and Cephraxone, and we may be speeding up our times to get, because again, the goal is one hour. Uh, yeah. Certain shops actually have a, 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 a time of 30 minutes they want to get these mm -hmm. antibiotics in. Yeah. So we want to make sure, what's the easiest way to do that? Premix or IV push? Yeah, so I think that hour is actually a standard. I think it's a trauma scenario. I could be wrong anyone in the audience would be wrong with that, but I thought that was a trauma scenario hour. Yeah, it is a quality metric. Yeah. So that, those are my, my big antibiotics. Those are the keys to, to the treatment. And, and Ansef has that unique side chain too, so even people with some beta lactam allergies, yeah. it, it may not be as, yeah, as yeah, high of a We studied this too. Yeah, it's, <laughs> most penicillin allergies are, are just kind of like, oh, right. yeah, most of them. But you know, then you have that one Goldilocks patient that comes in. And that's what you're in And it happens to be a trauma patient that's a little bit unstable and yeah. you get an Ansef, but that's why everyone's kind of nervous about this yeah. whole thing. They're just, they'll might hop the Quinda. Yeah, just because of yeah. Clinda. I know, I know Clinda. Well, we can't get into it, but. Uh, you can all see this? I can't see this. All right, what you got next, Clinda? Uh, next, uh, we're going more towards blood products. We got calcium salts up come next. Oh, man, uh, I, I love this, man. I love this. Uh, again, I, one, one of my colleagues down in Orlando, they, they did a study where they looked at patients, what was their like, initial uh, calcium level when they had trauma, and like a significant amount, over 50% of these patients, again, in their population, was hypocalcemia at baseline, at um, the door. At baseline, because of the, at the yeah, door. And then after, again, it gets really freaky here, every two to four units of blood that we give, that citrate that the blood is going to be um, pulled then can further reduce that. Yeah. And this, this, this is the problem that I have with calcium. I think we should give it. Um, I, I, I don't know the dose. I don't know the salt. But I think it's something that we, we should give, and it's something I'm teaching my residents to do. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't necessarily know, because uh, my, my colleagues from Orlando Health, they did three grams of calcium chloride. And I was like, okay. Yeah, you can you can do some research out there at different MTP protocols, like at different hospitals and different universities, and it kind of varies. Like, no one really has, like, a solid position on, like, how much calcium should you give, like, how much is too much, how much is bad, and, like, how much is good. Yeah. It's, like, still a gray area, but... One thing you know they did say though is that just be careful. Too much can be a problem, so you do have to worry about that. But you know how much to give, you know it, it's a question mark. But the best way, and I've seen some papers actually kind of guide this, is like trying to get those calcium levels if you can, which I know is difficult if you're doing like an MTP such situation. But if they're sending off some blood, getting like an ionized calcium, and kind of figuring that using that to kind of guide treatment. Are you usually giving an IV push? Are you hanging a bag? Yeah, it, it depends what you have. I've seen it. I've been in different shops where they had a pre-mix ready to go, and I can just get a 100cc bag and let that, let that run. The problem I run into is I don't necessarily have access all the time. Yeah. Um, if I got a cordis and my trauma team want to get blood, I'm not playing around and letting something <laughs> run over over 10 minutes. Yeah, no, same thing with TXS. I don't have the time. I'm going to get this as a push and realizing that the, the risk of this patient 
again, continue to bleed, maybe a little bit, the risk of that, not, not, not as bad as the necrosis that can potentially can happen. Yeah. Best can it's also, also if you're pushing it through a large bore, even if you have yeah. access to it, you don't really have to worry about that anymore. It's, it's muted right. at this point, you yeah. know, if it's a large, if it's a, obviously if it's like a cortis or central line, perfect, you know, but even if it's like a really good peripheral, some yeah. peripherals are like 16, yeah. you know, especially in trauma. Yeah, so like, you get these nurses out here now, man, if you're in a busy trauma center, they can put a 16 in your, in your toe. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen uh, IVs in the breast, I've seen everywhere, man. Oh, they're there, they're there for You can get you a good IV. So my big thing is just realizing the acting team, hey, if we go this route, can I go ahead and just get calcium after you get to units? That way, no one has to say anything about it anymore. I kind of do my pre, yeah. my, 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 my briefing for the case, and then I add on at that point. Okay, that's I smart. tend to get a little bit nervous about the foot IVs, though. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're pushing something as, hyper, as, hyper, as hypertonic as calcium. Because yeah. I've, I've seen a hand actually get necrotic ones yeah. from, not calcium, but dextrose, and they push it yeah. in blue. And, wow. Yeah. Right, what you got for me? Next up, uh, speaking of blood products, is K-Centra. Oh man, oh. this is this is intriguing now, man. Because depending on again, most of the time you have the, the, the probably the most common, and someone can check fact check me, is your level two or your your level B, whatever it is. They're the trauma because they're an old person that failed. Yes, on blood so tenders. the good old like, ground level four. Mima fell. Mima fell on blood thinners, and they come in and. They're either completely out of it, and they need to go for a type of urgent procedure, which I'm a little bit more aggressive there. And depending on which anticoagulant we're talking about, are we talking about warfarin? Are we talking about our DOAX? Are we talking about any of those? My dosing changed quite a bit. I'm yeah. on the fixed dosing kind of kind of band. Yeah, we, and we actually recently, as a system, also in my shop, changed the fixed dosing as well. Yeah. Recently, you got some 1500, 1500, and then for neuros, it's like it's DOAX 2000. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of my, my, my thought process. Again, I think some people are still using the 50 unit per kilo, and um, I'm, I like to make my med side. Even okay. if I can't come from pharmacy, I'm just that person where I want to control the whole process. And yeah. um, we looked at this before, and we had a, a quicker time to get it yeah. uh, in the patient. But I'm, if, I'm, if I'm working somewhere and I'm allowed to, I'm giving my, I'm giving my yeah. meds. And, also, and it's also logistically, too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it may just not be feasible, you know, because. One thing you have to be careful with is that if you're setting a standard of practice, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you can maintain that throughout the yeah. round. So if you're there, it's just like, oh, if you're there doing it, great. But what happens when you're not there? Who knows how to do it? Yeah. You know, and that's the big thing you have to realize. It's like, oh, well, we just lowered our standard of care for these eight hours and someone's not there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be cognizant about. Yeah. But, you know, case Centro, you know, interestingly enough, what we're talking about, you can talk about the whole controversies with that and the DEXA that's out there. Which that's you know, that one's going to get back to the about that one. That's an episode. That's our episode itself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, key pearls I would say with Kcentra, just remember those rare patients that have a history of hit. That you know, there is some heparin in yeah. that Kcentra, so you have to be cognizant about that. I know sometimes you may not have that data, but for happens if they're in the EMR and you can maybe see that, or if they're being transferred from another hospital, just be you know aware of that and just look for that. What are your options if someone doesn't have a strict hit and they need to have anticoagulation reversed or they have you know um, severe bleeding? What are you reaching for next? What do you, what do you have a formula? That's the question. Yeah, the question is you know I have to double check and someone quote me this wrong. I haven't used FIBA yeah. in a long time. I don't know. FIBA, like FIBA, right? Does FIBA have heparin in it? No, I think FIBA doesn't. And, and what's the other one you guys used to have? Um, is Babylon? Yeah. 
I thought that didn't happen as Is well. Is that three factor? I think yeah, it's three, three factor. factor, which isn't as great, obviously. But theoretically, the old the old Eva goodie is <laughs> FFP. Which, yeah, you, know, you, you most likely going to give it to a lot of patients anyway. But I think you just realize that your eye and is going to end yeah. up, you know, yeah, 1.5, 1. 1.6, and, and have that conversation. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, next up, oh, another age-old debate. Manitow versus oh, I love it, man. I, I got to speak to uh, Morgan Jones, who, who was the second author of the Tree What Dima Got. We went back and forth about this. And I'm a hyper person. It's just how I train. It's what's the yeah. easiest thing for me to give. Mm-hmm. I just throw it back up there, let that bat run, run wide open, and I'm good to go. And, I, and based off, again, some weak data, again, the data is not super strong, but it seems that you get a reduce in the rebound, the interest, ICP increase, yeah. and you get a, a longer duration. So I like to keep myself. And it makes sense based on at least uh, you know Manitoba's structure and its uh, ability to get into uh, the intracranial space yeah. and retain some fluid there. It can you know cause that rebound that you're talking yeah. about. Um, are you giving three percent, seven point five percent bullet? I think it really just depends on like what you're working at, where you're working at, how comfortable they are giving it. Because just remember, you know, the bullets at twenty three point four percent. If we're talking about high risk meds, this is the highest you can yeah. get. Because this is something that's seriously dangerous. If you give mm-hmm. this in the wrong IV place, if you give this, you know, to the, possibly too much or too little, like it can have some serious complications. So that's why, you know, it just depends on where you go. If you're talking about, you know, simplicity and easy, you have three percent. But then again, that's all that extra volume that you have. You have to worry about versus that concentrated sodium at twenty three point four percent. Yeah. You know, at my shop, you know, we it tends to not to be like rush, rush with you know the hypertonic. We'll put the orders in. You obviously, they'll get the central line and start the hypertonics. Mm-hmm. Usually, like all downstairs, uh, maybe in the trunk, there, maybe when they move them to a room. Yeah, is that they're super emergent? They're going up to the door for a craniotomy yeah. anyway, so you're not even have to worry about that. But usually, have enough time they get that central line, and they'll do twenty three point four percent, like alternating with acetate and chloride, like every two yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. Some again, yeah. some docs can prefer mannitol. I, I used to have a, a hate relationship with mannitol, yeah. but I've kind of taken an approach back talking to <laughs> talking to Morgan. If, so we have the bags now, and again, we can warm those bad boys up. We can make sure we put those crystals. But be careful though, because we ran that something interesting. Like we had our joint commission inspection about keeping vials warm all day. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to warm you yeah. so only, yeah. so only when needed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like there's that whole controversy, and then it's like, is your omnicell in a cold room? Because then you're gonna realize that when you need it, all your omnicell yeah. bags have crystallized in the omnicell. Yeah. And that's which, that's the challenging part. And yeah. Again, I'm not a fan because I, I I still used to filter. I go through the whole process and doing yeah. that. And it's just not quick to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the data's not there, and it's just like, I didn't train that way, so at least I'm not as negative on it anymore. But again, I'm a, I'm a hypertonic guy, I'm a three percent open to open yeah. drip and go from there. And then with mantle, you also have to be careful, just think mantle's like an osmotic diuretic, so you better make sure they have a Foley or something in place, you know, because water works are coming. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. They so they get that dose. There's to be like, What is Literally. this? Yeah. Like, then there's a whole leader, it's just like, You're gonna help change the sheets with me, yeah, and they will. You know where you're at. Yeah. Um, finally, we have a cyano kit. Uh, yeah, man. It's, it's on here because I had, I had a case that I would never forget where I couldn't find the cyano kit. Mm-hmm. I thought it was in Central with COVID patients. Again, it, I, just, I thought in my head it was somewhere else, and I realized the importance of making sure you know exactly where it's located, yeah. you know how to compound it, and the indications for that because it's just yeah. wide open. You have are you using for cyanide toxicity or are you using for refractory hypotension? So most of my are cyanide. Again, if I burn, if I burn a patient that comes in, uh, comatose, hypotensive, yeah. soot in the nose and in, in the back of the throat, those are the patients who 
I see, but again, I'm having it available for every burn, mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna let my teams tell me how to drive, whether they want to use it or not. Yeah, and just, you know, it's important being aware of it. Also, there was a huge, like, global problem with it not too long ago where no one could get it. Yeah. And then you're talking yeah, about, and then you're talking about what were the old school stuff. So then you're yeah. talking about the old school cyanide kit, and nitrate, sodium nitrate, and, you know, sodium diosulfate. Yeah. You know, I mean, no one merely makes you know the amyl nitrate ampules anymore, but well, it's called methiodote is like the combo product yeah. you can buy, which you have to like jump through some hoops to actually get it, like get yeah. it in your ordering piece. But I actually had to keep one because we ran out of it. You know, we're not a bird center; we always keep one just in yeah. case we do get those occasional like random smoke inhalation in the wintertime. And I was like, well, I have to get this, but then I have to put a huge hull note out about it. Because you have to remember with you know most burns that come in, you're not only dealing with cyanide but also carbon monoxide. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the key thing with sodium nitrate is that it actually induces a methemoglobinemia. Mm -hmm. And if you give that to someone who also has carbon monoxide poisoning, you may have just given them a death sentence. So watch out for that, man. Yeah. And in the cyanide kit, actually, I think there's a little card that gives like clinical pros yeah. on how to use it. So yeah. if you've never used cyanide kit before, there's information about how to use it on a little card in the box. Yeah. I think the weirdest thing about it, though, it's like, oh, 200 ml is a bottle saline. Yeah. It's, not, it's not just like a 250, yeah. it's not whatever. You know, you could be risky and take the uh, spike bag and just like pull it out right at the right second. Yeah. Or, you know, so you're just pushing, you know, 50, 50, 50, 50 yeah. in there and getting that 200. Uh, but just know, you know, obviously, you know, since they have that covalent part in there, it's kind of like B12. It is red. Yeah. You know, oh, it'll, it will it turn everything. First, everything lasts. Yeah, labs first in our key caveat, too. There's a will affect, you know, uh, all types of labs and possibly even blood gases, too. Or even if you're trying to get a, uh, uh, blood gases, where they differentiate this blood gas. Is it calorimetry where they do it, the, the different types like carboxyhemoglobin, methemoglobin? I forgot what that call is, but it's a certain lab. But beside that point, it will affect that as well. So it can make things tricky. All right, man. You got yeah. to get yourself the, 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 the Bible, the, 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 the trauma, the trauma commandments from a pharmacy standpoint. Um, thank you guys for joining me. Thank the audience for joining me. Any comments, questions, uh, issues when it comes to the, the, the drugs that we're using? I, again, Technus was on there, but. I couldn't necessarily uh, <laughs> put, put it on there to go from there. But if you guys don't have anything, thanks for coming on. And we end your show. Yeah, we get you. everything the same way. You don't have to be a pharmacist. You don't have to work in the ED. But everything you do, make sure you pump so hard. Yeah. Perfect. Closes it. Ozzy scratches his head. Whatever she's looking for, it isn't in there. Perfect, perfect, perfect.